You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here with you. I'm currently joined on the line by the author of Sayonara Slam, Naomi Hirahara, here on our first episode discussing this book. And Naomi, it is so good to have you here with us to talk about this book because we have been loving it so far. And I am currently the one in the hot seat trying to solve everything. And I don't, I don't know where to begin on that front because from a murder mystery perspective... I think that the murder mystery of this book is really secondary to just how great the character of Mazarai is because he's just so heartwarming. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because I've written about, I guess, 10 different murder mysteries and seven of them feature Masarai. So I actually went back and started rereading Sayonara Slam for myself. And I was going, this is like one crazy book. I mean, it's kind <laughs> of like a game of baseball in that there's so many different players. And if you're really into a sport like baseball, you know that there's history, superstition, tradition, it's all steeped within. So um, yeah, I it has a lot of moving parts, that's for sure. But I think, yeah, you'll you have to keep reading it to, um, I think, hone in on your suspects there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got an idea. We'll see how it pans out for me. Okay. <laughs> when we when we look through this book, we came into this book uh, expecting it to be a sports murder mystery, which it is. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that really struck me when we got started is that it diverges from sport really quickly into a story that's really about journalism which I understand you've been a journalist for a lot of your career as well. So how is it that you go about seeding aspects like this into a murder mystery story to kind of critique the industries that you're most familiar with? You know, what's it like putting that critique into the form of a murder mystery? You know, it's kind of interesting. In most of my murder mysteries, there is a journalist. So I, I guess I just can't help myself. And, um, I don't really have much experience with law enforcement. So I, I do think, uh, you know, whether it's, and I guess the journalist tends to play a minor role, but still an important role, an instigator. And I think it's kind of perfect um, because especially right now, they're, especially in the United States, there's so much controversy concerning law enforcement so I think now instead of your standard police procedurals, people are readers are kind of looking for that PI or, you know, how about a journalist? Mm-hmm. Although they are, you know, they're not without controversy themselves. But um, for me, I mean, I just I think that's how I entered into writing mysteries. Um, one of I've been in conversation virtually a few times with Michael Connolly. So, um, and he worked at the LA Times, which was, you know, um, very close to my much smaller Japanese American newspaper where I worked as a reporter and editor. But I think we both have kind of similar approaches in that we're not necessarily casting judgment on, you know, we're not necessarily writing like message uh, books, but we're just fascinated by the outside, how um, different forces like come against each other and kind of reflecting that and capturing that. So with this book, Sayonara Slam, I'm uh, also at the heart of it is relationships between um, Korea and Japan, which is a really hot topic as well. So, um, but it turns out the murder mystery is kind of a more of a nonpartisan way of kind of 
um, deconstructing all these very sensitive issues. Yeah, and I think that's something that's been really prevalent through the history of murder mystery. Our favorite example on the show being Rex Stout's Too Many Cooks, which dealt a lot with race narratives. And you mention in there your small Japanese newspaper, Rafu Shimbu, which gets a mention in the book here. And for, I guess, a foreign culture taking hold in a country like America, how important is it for newspapers like Rafu Shimpo to kind of connect the community that otherwise would be kind of scattered throughout uh, a region that doesn't necessarily have the kind of, you know, flavors of home? It, it's absolutely crucial. And um, a place like Japan that values literature and they value books and words, they were like several Japanese language newspapers just in Los Angeles and throughout the United States, there were dozens. Now there's not as many, but that Rafu Shimpo still exists, believe it or not. And it was established in 1903. So it's beyond just um, reaching like immigrants. It's, you know, some of the readers are maybe fourth generation Japanese Americans. So this is a source that will cover things that a larger paper will not. And we feel that it's important to sustain our communities. Like there's a vibrant little Tokyo in Los Angeles. We need a voice like um, the Rafa Shimpo. And Rafu, by the way, is the old word for Los Angeles. Oh, there you go. So turning back to that point you make about murder mystery being a great way to deconstruct narrative and that kind of uh, career in Japanese narrative, I really love the opening scenes where we get, you know, Amika coming in and just immediately controlling the room when all of the journalists are first introduced and the setup around this baseball game, which is kind of the framing device for the novel. We've just come from Jock Sarong's The Rules of Backyard Cricket, which does a really good job of exploring character dynamics and sport politics in a similar way. But you know, that came from a very depressing kind of grim look on it, which was fantastic. But looking in uh, to the culture more in Sayonara Slam, it seems you've gone for more of a positive light, more exploring the kind of enthusiasm that people have for the sport, the community that builds around it. For example, with Mars and his son still being involved with the Dodger Stadium there. You know, how important is it as uh, a cultural device to have something that can unify people like sport which kind of breaks the boundaries of culture in that way. Well, I personally love sport. Um, believe it or not, I'm less than five feet tall, but I played basketball <laughs> in high school <laughs> and also intramurals in um, college. And there's just something about sport because it's so it's beyond physicality. There's so much um, mental your mental performance, you know, is involved. And then beyond that, there's the whole fandom, which I find fascinating how people like we're having the, you know, world series right now. And Dodgers actually is one of the competitors mm. and people refer, you know, and the, you, we find this with universities too. People start saying we like we won or that, you know, like they weren't out there on the field <laughs> playing, but they just, there's just a natural, like, because they're, you know, we're out there in the past right now it's COVID, but they're still like glued to their computers. You know, they really have a stake in um, how this all plays out. So I think um, I love sport because it just gets down to the essence. And although like I talk a lot about culture um you know, people are just going to root for their team and it doesn't matter where that person came from. 
on that team. It, it could be Japanese, Australian, you know, Korean. It doesn't matter, you know, if they're on your team, they're part of you. So I I, I find that fascinating. So that, you know, and yeah, I, most of my Masarai mysteries, although he's um, a Hiroshima survivor, um, there is an element of, of wonder and joy. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, Moss is actually inspired by my own fa- late father, who um, was a gardener and Hiroshima survivor. And in spite of all the trials and turbulations that he and my mother have gone through, I think humor has been kind of essential in like my upbringing. So I think, I guess that's one of our family superpowers that to find humor, no matter what. And I think that's why I like to kind of flavor the Masarai mysteries with that sense as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a great touch and one of the reasons that Mars is such a lovable character because you can just immediately, he, he's such an unlikely detective, you know, I can't think of any other detective I've ever read who kind of fits his role in society in terms of being as old as he is, in terms of being as kind of lost as he is. And one of the things I love most about Mars is that uh, as well as being inspired by your father, as you mentioned, which is another thing we'll get into in a moment, but he he has just a young person's problems in an old person's body. And it's so heartwarming seeing him go through relationship struggles and family struggles in a way that I guess feels extremely accessible and is probably totally normal, but framing it in that way is, I think, really unique because it humanizes him in a way where you think of your grandparents as these kind of old out of touch people, but suddenly Mazarai puts them back into just an ordinary human's mindset. You know, how is it writing a character like that based off your family and giving them these problems that are so relatable? Is, is there an aspect of your own family story in those struggles? I think it's more, um, observational and not necessarily my family, but seeing other families, my friends' families. For instance, my um, husband's, uh, his grandmother lived to 100 and she was living with her, one of her sons who was widowed too. And, um, and he was kind of hanging out at a eatery, you know, and he had a lady friend and the lady friend would keep calling the house and grandma would they called her mama would answer. And when she would hear, hear that woman's voice, she would hang up. And then <laughs> my husband's uncle's like saying, I'm 70 something years old. Can't I have my own life? <laughs> and I thought that was just hilarious. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how old you are. There's that still that, you know, child parent kind of relationship involved. And I would hear that from other friends, um, like their mothers would you know, who had lost their husbands and were dating, were, asking, were telling their daughters about, you know, their dating woes. And I was going, whoa, it never ends. It's not like you hit a certain age and romance is out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as, as I was saying, you've based Mars off your father and your family has such an interesting history, what with being Hiroshima survivors and then moving to Japan when they did. You know, I've I've read in an article with NPR that your dad was initially skeptical of being adapted into this murder mystery hero. So over the years of writing Masurai, how has the character evolved? I mean, I imagine it was probably a lot more like your father to begin with, but how has he changed over the course of his books and kind of become his own identity? Well, the first book took me 15 years 
in terms wow. of writing it in publication. And I think part of it was I was pretty young when I started it. So to write about, number one, a different gender and also someone way older than you, um, I think, you know, it took me to kind of grow into mm. <laughs> writing that particular story. How he's changed is the first book is very pungent and he was so incredibly reluctant. He didn't want to get out of the chair. And I think that's another reason why it took me 15 years because it didn't start to be a murder mystery. And then once I, I call it that the mystery was the perfect container. Once I mm. placed it in that container and used like clues, you know, and made it more of a higher stakes so that Moss would get out of his easy chair then it started to actually move and become a novel that you would want to read. And I didn't really think about, you know, writing so many books, but my publisher wanted, you know, when they purchased the first book, they said, well, we want the second book next year. And I'm going, whoa. <laughs> bit of, <laughs> bit of a really step up in pace. Come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it does change, you know, in terms of really, he would never consider, you know, dating and being in a relationship. He wouldn't have. He was uh, very much estranged from his daughter in the first book, which does does not reflect my own relationship. But it was like something that I would see other people like having, you know, things had happened in their uh, when they were younger regarding a parent. And so, you know, relationship was broken. But so over the course of the books, they become now they're like living by Sayonara Slam. They're living in the same house. Yeah. Which I think reflects a lot of intergenerational living today, you know, because people um, it's, you know, rent is expensive and people's work maybe not so steady. So, yeah, people are living. Families are living together again. And then. Coming up early next year, you have a new book coming out, Clark and Division, which is supposedly a historical mystery, which we've been covering a lot of on the show this year because, you know, there there are just so many sacrifices to the historical fiction altar at the moment, which I'm loving. What can we expect from Clark and Division? It's set in Chicago in 1944, and it traces um, a family, um, a Japanese-American family who lives in Los Angeles and then is... Um, forcibly removed to a camp in um, near the Sierra uh, Nevada uh, mountain ranges with 10,000 other Japanese Americans. And then they're uh, released early to Chicago. And that was a common destination for, for a lot of these um, individuals who had been um, incarcerated in camps. And then unfortunately tragedy ensues and it's up to, it's really the story about a younger sister, how the younger sister is able to protect her parents and also find the truth of what happened to her older sister. Um, I'm in rewrites now. I'm really excited about it. I, it's, um, it's written in first person. And so I've really had to get into the head of my lead character and I'm an older, I'm the older um, sister. My, my brother is eight and a half years younger than me. So now I've had to kind of see things from the point of view of the younger sibling, mm. which has actually been harder <laughs> than I imagined. <laughs> yeah. Especially after writing a character like Moss for so long, just switching it up, I imagine. And then also in there, you're talking once again about the the camps that uh, Japanese citizens were put in 
during the Second World War, which is obviously another huge part of the kind of background politics of Sayonara Slam. How has the culture kind of adapted around that? Because that's obviously a big blot in the history of Japanese America. So, you know, is, is writing narratives like Sayonara Slam and like Clark and Division important for healing those wounds in the community at large? You know, believe it or not, um, people are still de- dealing with it. I mean, most of the population that had that firsthand experience have passed on. But I think um, there was a lot of shame um, dealing with being incarcerated. People felt, wow, maybe there was something wrong that I did, even though, you know, yeah. no yeah. one was ever convicted of espionage and it was a mass incarceration, right? So I think um, because things weren't articulated, I think younger generations are grappling with it, you know, even people in their 20s. So I'm older and I knew I personally knew and covered stories about the population that were interned. So I feel like I'm in a position that I could um, provide that missing piece because, you know, you could read oral histories and things like that, but it's different when you actually knew the people. So I'm trying to um, kind of capture you know, the personalities of these folks, as well as kind of their inner, um, you know, I, I, my mother's from Japan, I could speak Japanese. So I think I could provide kind of that cultural bridge for individuals, you know, either who, who have have that experience in their family, or maybe outside. I mean, this is, you know, the thing about uh, an event like this, it affects all people, not just, you know, the people who were inside a camp. But, you know, two thirds of them were American citizens. And, you know, so America has to take a good look at what happened. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's such a wonderful thing for a character like Maserai to come along and be so heartwarming and engaging, but also still deal with these serious issues of the ethics of journalism, the ethics of sport and, you know, the history of the Japanese American culture. Naomi, it's been so wonderful speaking with you about this. And thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader this week. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast for our extended chat with Naomi Hirahara. Get subscribed to make sure that you don't miss out on our full coverage of Sayonara Slam as we carry on for the next couple of weeks. You're listening to Death of the Reader.